Herd mentalists, hear me! I thought I'd kick off the show this week with a little bit of herd keeping. You may have noticed that I didn't get a show out last week, and there's a very simple reason as to why, and that is time. Unfortunately, reality dictates that I must prioritise where my time is spent in order to pay the bills and buy food. I'm being offered more work outside of the podcast, and until Patreon grows to a point where it offers an alternative, I'm going to switch to an episode every two weeks or thereabouts, so I'm not constantly stressing about late night edits and early morning starts, etc. So I'd very much like to thank all of you for the continued support offered to the show, as without advertising, it's really the only way I can continue to produce it. And if you'd like to support the show on a per-episode basis, head to patreon.com slash herdmentality. This week, I'd like to offer a very special thanks to the new Patreons, Carl, John2, Brett, and Andrew, and a very super special thanks to Charlie. What a bunch of legends. I've often considered alternatives such as advertising on the show, and I am open to it. And if any of you listening are running a business or are interested in reaching an audience such as this with a relevant service or product, please drop me an email, because uh, I think that by supplementing the show with one advertisement per episode, it may well be enough to make this a weekly project once again. So let's take a moment to look back over the last 70-odd episodes. There's been plenty of silliness from Ray and Raylene. There's some more coming up this episode. We've met the champion of reason. We've raised in excess of $19,000 to help out one godless woman in her predicament. We've heard stories from dozens of people out there on the topic of religion and science. And we've also given out over $500 in microloans to women in developing countries via Kiva.org. Now, Kiva is a wonderful way to help complete strangers. In fact, as the money is repaid to the Herd Mentality account, it gets loaned out again and again to the next person. So go and check it out. Kiva's great. Another pressing story is regarding Mubarak, a gentleman who is living as an apostate in Nigeria. You'll hear Godless Mum discussing this further later on in the episode. The campaign is going for another two weeks and it can be found at igg.me slash at slash free Mubarak, M-U-B-A-R-A-K. So this week, in lieu of donating $25 to Kiva, the Herd Mentality is contributing $100 to this cause and I'd love to see... More people chip in a few dollars where possible too. So Mubarak was beaten, drugged and locked in a psychiatric hospital for his non-belief. This fundraiser is in order to help him move to the States and get his Masters in International Development and Social Change. So that's pretty important stuff. One day I would like to have him on the show as soon as it's safe to do so. So for the show, what does the future hold? Well, I have some Ray Gates in the bank. They're just awaiting some editing time. Plenty more Champion of Reason sketches. And a very special thanks to Jim Reaver, who writes the sketches. You can find out more at jimreaver.com. That's J-I-M-R-I-V-A dot com. We have some new interludes coming up as well, featuring Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where they'll be renaming some animals. And with the help of Jason, there is a Herd Mentality blog in the works as well, so stay tuned to find out more. So Herd Mentalists, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate your understanding. And now let's go and have a chat with some complete strangers. Welcome to The Herd Mentality, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection and, God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook and Google+, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality. Down the line with me, I have three of the finest human beings ever to grace the internet. I have Jake and Hugo from The Bible Reloaded. How are you? Wonderful. Awesome. Well, yes. 
Two fantastic adjectives there, and there's a third one from me. And also we have joining us at Unicorn on Moon, Kyle, how are you, sir? Very unicorny. Well, we wouldn't have you any other way. That's true. Now, the three of you have decided to join forces and come and tell me what you don't like atheists doing. Yeah, yeah. pretty much we're like the wonder triplets, and our only we power get to be, is We get to, to be bitch. the bad guys of internet atheism. I'm sure they'll love us. They take criticism <laughs> so well. Yeah. <laughs> Lay it on me, guys. Let's go with you, Jake. What are your thoughts? Mm. What what really riles up your goat? Is that a saying that you people use? Riles up your goat? Yeah. I guess that's the only frame of reference they would have. Goat, goats and that's however like, they feel yeah. about the day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to start on the bottom rung, and I'm sure this conversation will bring us to the top naturally because... It's just how it works. We always start uh, low here. One of the, 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 the most common things is people assume they're smart because they're an atheist. Yeah. I think my very podcast proves that that's incorrect. <laughs> I think our show proves that's incorrect as well. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I think the existence of all of us proves that's incorrect. Yeah, all four of us. But, I, I mean, it, it's really common. Like, someone will be anywhere that, where there's a forum, Twitter, Reddit, YouTube comments, whatever, Facebook, you know the four worst places to communicate with another human being. It's always the atheist who knows, like, one fucking fact, and it's like... Evolution. Yeah, evolution. There you go. Evolution, and then they, monkeys aren't us, and stuff like that. Like, calm down, man. Like, you can you can have a civil conversation. I have gotten so many positive responses just by having an actual discussion with someone who actually was asking, quote, the question, if anyone follows Take That Darwin, you yeah. know what I'm talking about. Mm. Why are there, if, if, if evolution is true, why are there still monkeys, basically? Some of them are being legitimate. Some of them really don't know the answer to that. And, and so you just like, yeah, I, I know to a lot of atheists it sounds ridiculous to them to even fathom that someone would genuinely have the question, like, why are there still monkeys? Because we hear it all the time. Yeah. We have to have the same snarky, stupid comeback. But no, some people genuinely don't take biology or the life sciences into their everyday life. So they don't think about this sort of thing. So they might genuinely have that question. And they might be creationists, but maybe that's only because they haven't been presented with actual evidence. So it's my policy to treat everyone as if they're being genuine and try and have an actual open discussion with them about the topic rather than just being, lol, you fucking retard which I see sometimes and it annoys me because yeah. really you're preventing that person from actually possibly bettering themselves and learning something about the natural world that they otherwise wouldn't. Mm, so get off the high horse. Basically. Yeah. Mm. Well, I was going to say, I think it's also, I mean, uh, kind of just adding to that is it's also, I mean, at least in America, it's a failure of American uh, education system. I was a creationist at one point, and it's not because I had learned about evolution. It's because my school didn't teach it, and I went to a public school. They didn't teach it because they were afraid. Uh, they didn't want to face the parents. They didn't, whatever, all the controversy that surrounds it. So it's literally ignorance. And it's not willful ignorance all the time. It's because I didn't know any better. The first I ever heard about evolution was from Ken Ham and Kent Hovind. So, of course, what I learned was wrong about what evolution said. So if somebody would have came at me with, oh, you're just stupid, etc., blah, 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 I'd still be in that bubble. But instead, you know, I was able to come to it kind of slowly and learn about it and not just have somebody yell at me about how dumb I was. Where did that come from, Kyle? What was the first point? It's really difficult to say. Probably the one thing that really sparked my skepticism, I guess, for everything, not evolution specifically, but 
kind of sparked it for everything was watching the daily show uh-huh. uh and there was a and he had a guest on and i don't remember his name but he was he w- he had a book that was called god's politics and it was a christian who was basically a liberal christian and basically was talking about how republicans get christianity wrong i read that book and that really sparked my skepticism towards what i was brought up to believe you know what's sad us three all live in the united states sadly the daily show which is a comedy show primarily one of the best sources for unbiased news in the country, and that is so sad because you can't get it from the major networks because they're either one side or the other because it sells. Comedy is one of those things where you almost have to be as objective as possible in order to be funny, to be able to look at a topic from both angles and analyze it critically. And then you've got absurdity, which is really what they do on those uh, The Daily Show and Bill Maher's show and so forth, where they take it five steps further. They say, well, here's what they're saying, but here's what they mean. You know, just just exaggerate a little bit. And this is what the essence of what they're trying to communicate is. Yeah, and I think that's kind of exactly what we do. Uh, yeah, I was, was going to say, there's, there's something about comedy that it's a safe Bridge, place almost. for people because you laugh and then you go, wait a second. Yeah. And that's all it takes is that little bit of hesitation of, wait a second. Hugo, what annoys you? I would say almost kind of a, the other side of the coin as to what Jake talked about earlier with assuming that atheists are smarter. Mm. Atheists who assume that anyone who is religious is dumb. That is, that's and a really good one too. I see this all the time and any time, not any time, but a lot of the time when I see an atheist addressing a Christian, they almost talk down to them mm-hmm. and no one wants to be talked down to. We were just talking about Bill Maher, for instance. I think he does a poor job. Yeah. Because while I find like the movie religious entertaining, he doesn't do a good job of actually communicating to those who aren't already in the atheist circle, so to speak. He talks down to Christians or or Muslims or any religious group, and that's not a good way to start a conversation in any in any sense of the word. You know, of course there are going to be dumb Christians, but there are dumb atheists too. There have been very smart Christians. Just because something may be correlative doesn't mean it's causal. So. Someone you talk to who you might be trying to explain why Christianity doesn't make sense or Islam doesn't make sense, whatever, they may be very intelligent. They may just never have looked at it from a different angle before because it's what they've been fed their entire lives. I try and always assume the best out of people when I'm talking to them about something like that. I try and talk to them as an equal, and that's how you move forward with a discussion. You don't get anywhere by trying to talk to them like they're four years old. Jake and Hugo, I'll meet you halfway, and I'll say what really annoys me is that people don't listen. From the atheist position, it's more of a tirade. You've made this statement, now sit down and read the 67 tweets I'm about to throw at you, explaining exactly (laughs) why you're wrong, but not understanding the the opponent's position. Now, if somebody hasn't had a chance to relay their point clearly and concisely, what interest do they feel that they have in the conversation if the other person isn't listening? We have the same problem that certain Christians do, which is falling into talking point. You're no longer having a discussion. You're just copying what you've heard in every other discussion you've ever seen on the internet about it or even in real life. Mm. You know what I mean? Proselytizing. (laughs) That's why I like to take kind of the Socratic method to it. And I like to ask them questions, like especially when I'm having a really productive conversation. If you ask them questions, they're the ones that like want to answer it because you've already established a connection. And and now they're going to go start reading things like, oh, I don't know. Let me check real quick. And maybe they'll give you an answer or maybe they'll give you the wrong answer. And then you can be like, well, this is what I've been told or this is what I think or that, you know, and you can kind of have a really you can lead the conversation without being in charge, if that makes sense. Mm. One of the things that I really transfer from my professional life 
I was a sales agent for many years and there are a lot of people who worked on sales desks. You know, their job was to process orders or arrange credits for faulty products and so forth. I wasn't their boss, but they did have to report to me. Other sales agents around were going, oh, these guys are terrible. They're absolutely woeful. They're never helpful. And I can understand exactly why. Because these sales agents would send through an email and say, dear XYZ, can you please fix this list of five problems? Goodbye. And I never found that tactic helpful. What I would do is send them an email initially and say, hey, I've just got a problem. Do you mind helping me with it? And as soon as they come back and say, yes, all of a sudden they've got a vested interest in the outcome. They want Mm -hmm. to solve it as much as you do. You ask somebody for help and all of a sudden they're your best friend. (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind of like an inherent thing with human beings. Most people care for other people. You know, and that, and a lot of atheists don't understand that's why a lot of Christians are so heartfelt when they're like, you're seriously, you're going to hell. Some of them aren't being an asshole. Some of them are seriously concerned about the well-being of their fellow human being. So it's like some people just got to rein in. Or when people are mad at their, like a young atheist, uh, we get a lot of those that ask questions like, mm. what should I do when my parents are, you know, religious and stuff like that. And it's the same answer every time. They care about you. Try to be as respectful of their belief as you can while you're in their home. And if they ask you questions, answer honestly without sass or, you know, anything like that. And it, the same goes for even if they're not your parents. you got to just be sincere and don't be a bastard to this random person. Just because it's on the Internet and you're under a pseudonym doesn't mean you can act differently. Yeah, exactly. Like we're all still people. I ran into my good friends, the Jehovah's Witnesses, yesterday. They had this little stall in the middle of a marketplace in the town that I was working in. We began talking about all the different religions and how they can't all be right, but they can all be wrong. And how did you determine that Jehovah's Witnesses was the correct one? You know, the usual stuff that baffles them. But what was interesting, they said, so if you don't believe in, in a holy book, how are you moral? And I said, well, I come to my moral conclusions the same way you do. I'm guessing you don't keep slaves. And they, they actually had no idea what Exodus 21 was, which is a favorite of mine and yours, I'm yeah. told. Yeah. And she, she didn't quite get it. And she said to me, so why do you feel it's important to come out here and talk to us? And again, I said exactly the same reason you do, because you have what you perceive to be the best world outcome by changing everyone to be like you. You actually see that's going to be beneficial for the world at large. You're going to save more people. Now, because I don't believe in that, I'm still doing it for the same reason, just for a different end game. I'm trying to get people to think critically and rationally to then have a better outcome at the end of it. Yeah, and I I think that's how I treat it with my friends. I think all of us have friends who are Christian. I think it's almost unavoidable, Mm. even family. And when you bring it up, especially with close friends, some of them get concerned and other ones don't care. And then some of them are willing to talk about it. And it's just kind of one of those things like you finally get to that point. And I'm like, well, why do you even care? And it is. It's the same reason. It's, it's, well, I care about you. You're my friend. I, you know, I, I feel like all the energy you put towards that could be put towards something that is actually beneficial Mm. and some, something that will be pragmatic and will affect people for the better in this world. Kyle. What's aggravating you on the atheist blogosphere? Well, first, I think I'll just piggyback off of what everybody else has said. And since we all met each other through Twitter, 
I'll speak specifically about Twitter things. And one of them would be, and I think some people do it, do it right. And some people don't. And it's a very thin line. And that's making your conversation with somebody public to everybody. Adam, you talked about listening. I think once you do that, you've given up any precept of listening. Essentially, you're saying, look at this idiot that I found online. Come help me laugh at him. Don't get me wrong. I think there are some people that can do it in a way that's fairly respectful. Uh, Mr. Oz Atheist comes to mind as far as that goes. For instance, if you look at his timeline, though, it's not every tweet that he has to somebody it has you know a character in front of that person's handle. Whereas other people, I won't name names, don't do that. And it's every tweet is look at this conversation, look at this conversation, and that's and that's what they want. And it's how you get followers. If you look at some of the meanest, most vile atheists online are the ones that have the most followers. If you're somebody who's relatively nice and you're somebody who's friends with uh, people who have God beliefs one way or the other, you're going to cap out at about 1,000 to 3,000 followers. You'll never reach 5,000. You'll never reach 10,000, with some exceptions. And so there's this weird circle jerk of, look at how mean I can be to this group of people, Mm. which I find really disheartening from a group of people that generally consider themselves humanists and have empathy at heart, or at least claim to. Very well. So now that we've got all of that off our chest, let's talk about something that is completely unrelated to atheism. League of Legends, gentlemen, your thoughts? <laughs> well, I think um, uh, 75% of us are, on, are are in the right side of this, yeah. the correct side. Right. Yeah, well, Hugo um, doesn't have any friends anyway, so we'll just talk on without him. <laughs> Hugo needs to play League of Legends. Absolutely uh, not. I'm probably going to get him to do it for uh, our second channel. Um <laughs> Kyle, what is League of Legends? A MOBA game, multiplayer online battle arena game, a spinoff of World of Warcraft, and that is their arena battle done better. So yeah, you that. basically log in and you have one fight that lasts about 30 to 45 minutes, and that's it. The whole game is over, and you go on to the next one. Hmm. And we've been playing a little bit of that. So Jake, Kyle, myself, it's good fun. We play on the North American servers. Add us, if you so wish, on the North American League of Legends server. My name is Scrotok, S-C-R-O-T-O-K. Kyle? Uh, I am the Kyle TK. And Jake? <laughs> I am Taintus the Humble. All one word, no spaces. Taint us the Humble. <laughs> there you go. And Hugo? Oh, that's right. You've got no friends. Very well. <laughs> well, gentlemen... Fucking- Choosing to go outside. <laughs> you don't go outside. Well, I, I have the opportunity to go outside. I, just, okay. <laughs> I instead watch Netflix. That's very similar. It's, There's outside and Netflix. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on and getting all of that aired. Thank you, you're Adam. You're the sexiest man alive, and I love you. I love you, too. Bye. See ya. Bye. Hi, I'm Godless Mom. You might recall the campaign we ran on Twitter in the spring for Free Mubarak. It was for an apostate in the northern part of Nigeria, which is under Sharia law. He had been beaten, drugged, and detained by his own family, and through a lot of the pressure that we put on his family, he was finally released. He's still in trouble, though, and he needs your help. He's in hiding for fear of losing his life. If anybody finds out that he's an apostate in the northern part of Nigeria, which is famous for Boko Haram, he will be killed. There's no doubt about it. So we need your help to get him out of there. Um, If you want to help donate some money to help us get him out of Nigeria, just follow the link to Indiegogo. And thank you so much. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality and down the line with me from the US, I have Richard and Eric. Greetings. Hello. Hello. Oh, Thanks ha- for having us. Our pleasure. Hailing frequencies are open. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, the Twitter handle is Trek About Show. Fantastic. What is Trek About Show? Uh, well, Trek About is a podcast we've been doing for a little over two years now. Oh, God, is that that long? It's that long, yes. Uh, it's our seven-year journey through the entire Star Trek franchise. Oh, God, we have five years left? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a huge Trekkie, and, and Richard, my co-host and, and good friend, uh, had never really seen much of the show, and so I, I saw this... the Tribbles. Right, the Tribbles. Yes, I love the Tribbles. I, I had this crazy idea that you know to see if somebody could get into Star Trek, you know, as an adult, and to to get something out of it. And uh, you know, I think Richard has. Well, well, th- thank you for spoiling the podcast. Now they don't have to listen to it. <laughs> It mirrors what I'm doing in a way. I introduced the lady friend to Star Trek Voyager. I I grew up a little bit on Next Gen and sort of saw them as they appeared on TV. So this is before downloads and being able to record things with with tape. Gentlemen, tape. So we didn't have a VCR. So I'd have to start quite late to catch it. So I never really delved so much into the next generation as much as I did Voyager. And that's where... I sort of really got into Star Trek, uh, particularly the morality debates that they would have on the show, trying to determine the best outcomes for people who often would have no impact on them in the future. I really enjoyed uh, learning from Star Trek. And the lady friend has as well. We've got through all of Voyager. We've seen all of Enterprise. And now we're into season six of Next Gen. She's really struggling with the Troy character. She says, what, why is this woman on the bridge of a starship? <laughs> what what we, possible use has she, <laughs> has she we, got? She doesn't we fix both stuff. Really struggle with the Troy character as well. Mm. I, you know, I had seen a bit of Next Gen uh, when I was when it was first aired. We just started season five for recording, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think late season six, season seven was you know, and I'll know some of those episodes. But I mean, I remember liking Troy as a kid. You know, now I, I it, it she is a character that has a lot of potential that they just didn't know what to do with. I mean, mm. we, we've talked a lot about, I mean, a lot of the shows we've said, you know, this is of its time. Like, you really do realize what a different kind of cultural environment, you know, 19, what are we at, 91, 92? Not yet, early 90s. I mean, tw- you know, it's we think it's 20 years ago, now that much has changed, but a lot has in the way they write women, even though, you know, there are still issues with the way women are written on, you know, television and movies today. It's in a different way than Troy was written. And I don't know. They, they didn't, they could, there are these moments where you see a fully fleshed out character cracking through, but it's never fully there. Mm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think, you know, even well, with Dr. Crusher gets a lot of that too. Yeah. I mean, basically what you have is you have a, a group of men primarily that are writing for the show and, you know, they have female characters. And what do you do with women? Well, they, they have sex. So. You know, that that's kind of a lot of the plots you get with... And then they structure. do jazzercise, and then they talk about the sex they had. <laughs> you know, that's... Right. So your podcast is primarily watch two episodes of Star Trek and then analyze it over the course of an episode. Yeah, we, we started off, you know, we started at the, the, the very beginning with the original series and, you know, went straight through movies and... Now we're in the middle of... We did the animated series. We did the animated series. I shouldn't forget that. Um, (laughs) We we, we fucking saw Ben, and we really... (laughs) I want the credit for watching Ben. Yeah, we we, we didn't really have a a plan going into the show. I think we had sort of, like, flirted with with different formats, and uh, we we just sort of went with the two-episode, you know, per episode of podcast. Uh, I think because it kind of allows for some breathing room if, if one episode doesn't 
lend itself to, to yeah. much sort of examination or, or insight. And uh, so you don't have these sort of like wild swings in length. And then I also think it just works really well because the, the strange thing is that, you know, a lot of episodes, even though it's, it is a very, you know, original series and next gen is, are very episodic. There are a lot of like ways that the episodes group together. And I think it's easier to, number one, it, it was, it was logistical choice because we don't want to do the podcast for 15 years, yeah. but, <laughs> but also because you know, a lot of times you get some nice resonances with the episodes when you do them like that. Well, in a lot of ways, the series is, especially Next Gen, has a series of themes that it, you know, kind of picks up. And, you know, now we're going to talk about honor and we're going to use Klingon episode or we're going to talk about, you know, the prime directive and, you know, so it does, you know, these things recur. So it does make sense that a lot of times they would, you know, hit the same theme two weeks in a row or that it would be two different takes on the same. Mm. Well, gentlemen, for those not familiar with the Star Trek series, how would you define the character Q? However the hell he wants to be. (laughs) (laughs) Q is an interesting character. On the one hand, you know, I I won't take the the Star Trek answer because, of course, you know, these, these are possibly people that don't know Star Trek. And Star Trek is, more than anything else, a series that that does, you know, pretty much anything fictional that, that you can imagine. It's it's done all kinds of things. It does horror, it does romance, it does comedy, it does straight up drama, you know, it does mystery, it does all of those things. And so Hugh fits in to the sort of you know, he he says he's an omnipotent being, basically, and and presents himself as an all powerful, all knowing being. Uh in effect God, even though he never calls himself God. Well, I mean maybe we should just talk about what his first appearance is because the, I mean he appears in the pilot episodes. The pilot episode called Encounter at Farpoint, where um the Enterprise basically they're dealing with a situation at a star at a, at a space station or star what exactly is it? It's a starbase. It's a starbase that's essentially at the edge of the known universe and they're going to be going beyond that. So, you know, they're they're on the way to the space station this this person named Q appears, and he basically says, you know, I'm going to decide whether you're ready or not to go past here. And essentially, he puts humanity on trial. And he says, you know, if you can solve this thing, then I think you're ready. You as a race have, as a species, have grown up enough, essentially. He presents himself in the very first episode as kind of a judge, as an arbiter of uh, where humanity is at this point. And in subsequent episodes, and a bit in this episode, too, he reveals himself to be a bit more, he's, in a lot of ways, he's kind of a prankster figure. He's kind of a Loki type character. He just plays tricks on people, or he does, he has this weird idea of something that needs to happen, and he just kind of, because he has these powers, and he just uses these powers to do what he wants, but he is an agent of chaos. As he has more appearances, he is fairly petty. He is a very lonely character. You know, it's almost implied that he keeps going to the Enterprise because he's bored and lonely and they're the closest thing he has to friends. Well, he says as much. In the first episode, the pilot episode encounter at Farpoint, he does proclaim to yes, have superior morality. And, and I think the other interesting thing about that is, you know, in, in the first, you know, you have that sort of superior morality. He's, he's putting himself up as, as some sort of judge. I mean, that's as superior as you can get, right? That you, he's literally saying that, that he has not only the power, but the right to judge all of humanity. The interesting thing I think about that is if you look at the character of Q and, and what Richard was talking about, you know, in Encounter at Farpoint, the first episode of Next Gen, and then he has another appearance in the first season, uh, has one appearance in the second season, and then he sort of does one appearance a season after that. I think he skips the sixth season or something like that. Um, that the, the character. <laughs> 
the character really does transition from being a, a threat and being very, very scary. You know, it, it, nobody knows how to handle him on the ship. Uh, to, you know, by the fourth season, he has, in effect, become a neuter character, and he's comic relief. He's an annoyance in a lot of ways. Like, there are episodes where everybody's dealing with a crisis situation, and they're trying to figure it out, and then Q appears, and basically there's, I, I don't remember which episode, but basically, you know, Picard, you know, ends up yelling, you know, not now, you know, this is like the worst time you could show, like, come back next week, we, we're dealing with this, you know. I think that's Deja. <laughs> oh, God, that, the, the, the bad thing about Q is the episode titles. <laughs> Some of them are some terrible puns. puns One of them is hide and Q. (laughs) That doesn't mean anything. That's just yeah. (laughs) They're really crowbarring it into the title there. There's only one Q title that I can think of that actually works as a pun, and it's in Voyager. So I don't know. Cupid is pretty good. Yeah, that's right. We might have to save that for a future episode, (laughs) gentlemen. There's so much to talk about. So. Is the depiction of Q an accurate depiction of a god, do you think? Well, here's the thing. Um, see, it's interesting because Star Trek deals with gods fairly often in the... It's a fairly standard sci-fi thing that, you know, what you have as god is really this very advanced alien entity. In the original words, series does it a lot. Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, whether, you know, and it's the whole, you know, technology and magic indistinguishable from each other, but... Um, you know, original series, they meet Apollo at one episode, and it turns out he's an alien who came to Earth at one point. They, you know, the Greeks had a religion based on him. Um, there is, of course, Star Trek V, which is based on, you know, the What Is God Need, the Starship movie, where they have, they meet someone they call the God Being, which is this, again, an alien entity with, you know, innumerable, innumerable power. Next Generation has a few episodes where you have someone pretending to be a god. The series is of the opinion that it's very ambiguous, and I don't think this, you know, this franchise just goes shy of, you know, making this point, you know, which I think is a good, you know, thing for them to avoid, but what would the difference between a god and just an alien that is just that much more technologically advanced, what would the difference be? It's, I mean, there's real no answer to that question, but... I mean, they have plenty of aliens going down to a planet and announcing, you know, I'm God, worship me. That's something Q never does. You know, out of everything that you can say that whether Q is bad or good, he never demands people to worship him. And I think that's really interesting, because he could. If Q wanted to be God, he could. Well, okay, let's follow through on that point. How does Q demonstrate his power? So, for people who haven't seen the show before, they're, oh, yeah. they're probably at a loss as to what sort of actions does Q take in order to demonstrate his seeming omnipotence. Well, the interesting thing about Q is that, I mean, you know, on the one hand, you could say Q can do whatever the plot demands him of, right? And and that certainly is the case. But on the other hand, he does things like uh, shrinks down a gigantic starship to be the size of his palm and says that he's going to destroy them. Uh, he does things like uh, bring people back from the dead. Uh, he does things like construct elaborate traps for people. He has mastery over energy, basically. And so he does a lot of a lot of things that we would consider to be, you know, of the realm of a god or, or some sort of godlike creature. He um, can essentially perform magic. Very. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking especially of you know, the, the first appearance that Richard mentioned encounter at Farpoint when they have the trial scene and one of the characters is killed and Q brings her back to life. 
you know, you could argue, well, is she actually dead? Is she not? He's yeah. created this environment, so we don't actually know. It's one of those things where it's kind of like Hawkins Razor, right? But here's the other thing, because Dr. Crusher has a limited degree of that ability. Dr. Pulaski, who, you know, is the doctor in season two, has that ability. We are, does that just mean that Q is just that much more advanced in medical technology, or is he doing something that's against the laws of physics, I guess is the thing. I mean, maybe that's a definition of a god. One can... Well, there, I mean, I think it's interesting that Richard mentions, you know, defying the laws of physics, because there is the one episode where, uh, you know, there's a, there's a very famous episode, it's probably my favorite Q episode, at least of the, of the next generation, where the Q is a part of that, and this is the other thing that, that we should mention, is that Q is not a singular entity. Q is part of something called the Q continuum. So the implication is that there are many Q, or perhaps each Q is a manifestation of like a, of, of a Q-ness or something like that, right? And so... One of the things that he does in an episode called Deja Q, where the Q continuum strips the Q character of his powers and he becomes human, is there's a moon around a planet that the Enterprise is trying to stop from is crashing onto the planet. And what Q says is, why don't you just change the gravitational constant of the universe? At the end of the episode, he gets his powers back, spoiler alert, and he does that very thing. He changes the gravitational constant of the universe so that the moon will go back into its orbit and, and it can be moved. You know, that, that seems very elaborate <laughs> and that seems very godlike. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. So then Q is God. How would you define his morality? Flexible. <laughs> <laughs> Convenient to a plot line. Uh, yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, when, uh, I, I mean, the, the, we're, we're about to ask the horrible question of what is morality, because, I mean, one, uh, there are differences between a God-centered morality, which is whatever God says, and a more, again, I guess, humanist, you know, morality, or you can even have an environmentalist morality, you know, all of that. Q, by saying that he has a superior morality, suggests that his morality is very self-focused, and... Rather than saying, you know, as, you know, you or I might say, you know, well, I'll make my own moral principles and whatever, we can't say that they're necessarily superior because, you know, they are ones that work for us. Well, no, but Picard does. So the character accuses Q of having inferior morality to Picard. I think, yeah, I think that's a good point because, you know, Richard is talking a lot about big book words that I don't understand, um, but also that... Sorry! <laughs> You know, there's, you know, there's always this difference about subjective versus objective morality, of course. And, you know, one of the things that I think that's very interesting when you're talking about Q and morality is that Q really never breaks his word. Like, if Q says he's going to do something, believe him, because he's going to do it. And, you know, if he tells you that he's going to let you out of a situation if you meet some criteria, he will do it. Whether or not Q is is immoral or moral, at least in terms of, of how the Federation or Picard sees Q, I think Q does have some sort of internal morality that guides his actions. Well, the, the thing, I guess that maybe the thing is we never really see what Q's morality is, but we know exactly what the Q, what the Federation's morality is, and that is the Prime Directive is the kind of the linchpin of the Federation's morality. And the Prime Directive, as it's expressed in Next Generation, is that, you know, you essentially... It, it's a non-interference policy in a lot of ways. Yeah. Might does not make right. Just because you are this advanced culture does not give you the right to meddle in the affairs of species that aren't quite as advanced. Which is exactly what Q is doing. 
According to the Federation, the, according to the Prime Directive, you know, Q is actually an extremely immoral character. I think there's something to that. But but then, of course, you have to answer, well, the Federation is, is, is predicated on the idea that all cultures are justified in their existence. And so, you know, Picard also, you know, seems to sort of break that belief system in the case of Q, right? Because... You know, the Federation is, is sort of non-interference. The Federation is, is sort of like multiculturalism and, and political correctness and all of these words that were very popular in the 1990s wrought large. And Q is not that. But according to Picard's own stated morality on the show, he should accept Q on his own terms. Well, I don't think he knows what Q is doing. I mean, the more I think about what is Q's goal? I think to, to entertain. Well, that, that's an interesting question for somebody who has omnipotence, because one wouldn't really need a goal. Then he's an aimless being. I, I think mm. the Federation sees itself as building towards something, and if you are an aimless, you know, Q is not building anything. Q is not. Q, Q is chaos, in effect. Yeah, uh, although ordered in a way, because as you said, he follows his own word, but. I mean, he is the true chaotic neutral, you know, character, although at times he is chaotic good if we're talking D&D alignments here. It's a theme that's often expressed throughout the show in terms of building towards something because you've got the Federation, which is not really out to impose its belief system or its, uh, its ethics or morality upon others because, as you say, it's got the prime directive, which is a non-interference policy. But then on a personal level, you've got a character like Data, whose, whose role on the show is to grow and develop over time. Yes. And I think that Data's an interesting character to bring into this discussion because Data is sort of the ur-ideal of the Federation. And, mm-hmm. and he really has bought into it on a, on a, you know, I mean, he's, you know, lock, stock, and barrel, he's in. And so I think Data and Q are maybe, I don't think they're as opposite as maybe we first think they are because they both do believe in what they say and say what they believe. And I, well, maybe not Q says what he believes, but I think to the point where Q does what he says, Data is also going to do what he says. But at the same time, I think Q is much more aligned with the idea that you should not do harm to anybody than Q is. You know, I'm thinking another of, of an episode where uh, Q hurdles the, the Enterprise, you know, 77,000 light years and introduces the Federation to the Borg, which is a famous Star Trek race, which is essentially invulnerable. And every time the Federation fights them, it's a pitched battle that, you know, is, is very, very terrible and kills many people. Q doesn't really seem to be that concerned with his own actions, and he doesn't seem to be concerned that perhaps he's putting a lot of people in grave danger, whereas Data would. Yeah, I disagree with that. Because- yeah, I, I disagree as well, because I think <laughs> I think Q did that action to introduce the Borg to the Federation, sort of a, a forewarning. Well, here's the thing. I mean, the very first episode, again, is Q deciding whether humanity is ready to kind of go to the next level, you know? Are you ready to... And he basically says, are you ready to really see what's outside in the galaxy? You know, I think the episode where he brings them to the Borg is him saying, okay, you said you were ready. You told me you were ready. We've met a couple times and you've been really good. You're probably the most capable and interesting, you know, people I've ever met. Here you go. Here's what you're doing. Here's what's out there. Fight it. This is bad. Fight it. You say you can fight this, go. And they do. I mean, the Federation does. The Federation does prove itself to be ready. I think, well, I, I mean, I, it's the equivalent of throwing, you know, somebody into the water and saying, all right, swim. 
I, I take both of your points, but I think that the other step to that is the fact that the, the board perhaps would not have known the Federation's existence if it were not for Q. Exactly. So that's kind of where, where I'm leading to, which is that Q, while his actions may or may not be, be moral or justified based on his own morality, he doesn't necessarily seem to either consider or care about the implications of his actions. I don't know, because I get the sense that the board were eventually going to get to the Federation sector and... And how many people, how many, uh, planets was the Borg gonna attack in the meantime? By giving them the target of the Federation, who is the first group that, uh, Q thinks is ready to actually tangle with, you know, the Borg, the Borg go straight on a beeline, probably ignoring a ton of meandering, you know, route. They would have probably just taken a really just slow, circuitous route around the galaxy. Now they're going straight for the Federation. It's a way which ignores the sanctity of, it's a way which, you know, sees the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few, if you want to get that frank about it. I think I think Q instigated that fight because he knew it was eventually going to happen, and now, we, you know, now you can do this. Just let's bring it back a little bit to the character of Data. For those who haven't seen Star Trek before, what is Data? Oh, it is Data. <gasps> <laughs> I'll let Richard feel this one because he loves Data. I love Data. So um, Data is an android. Data is an android who is a lieutenant in the Federation. He is probably the most advanced android that we see on the show, barring a couple of, you know, plot-type things. Data's main goal in life is to be human. He feels that there is something missing in his existence, even though he is, you know, he's not going to die of old age, even though he has superior physical and intellectual strength. I mean, he's essentially a computer that can walk. He feels that there is something missing and that part of the reason he hangs around humans is to learn what the human experience is. Usually that's defined by emotions. And if you listen to our show, we will have very long discussions about whether or not Data actually does have emotions or not. Yeah, he's prohibited in his nature by uh, to, to have ambition. So he, he's not ambitious per se. The only real ambition he has is the betterment of his of himself. And at the same time, I see, I mean, as we're watching the series, that's changing a little bit. I mean, there's an episode we just saw where he uh, essentially asked to take command of a ship for a mission that he's doing. And he wants, you know, he basically wants to get, you know, further in his career. There are a lot of spots where he you know, is implied to want to progress or do something more. And, you know, we can talk about whether that's, you know, self-improvement or whatever. But at the same time, I do think he does have some ambition. Maybe as a follow-up to that, the only thing I want to add is, you know, Data's ambition really is 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 for the betterment of himself. And so his ambition is not really selfish in as much as it is he is using this ambition that he's perhaps learning uh, by watching humans to better himself further. And so and it's, it's he almost wants a to selfless be- ambition. And he wants to better himself to be, to work for the Federation. As you said, he's bought the Federation, you know, completely. And I, I mean, it's, it's self-improvement to do a better job so that the Federation can be better in a way. Given that he's so objective, does he have a superior morality? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Well, I, I think it's demonstrated in an episode where some little robots, you may have not seen this, Richard, because you may not be up to it quite yet. There's an episode where there are three little robots that they're, they're basically repair droids, as it were, a little bit like R2-D2. But Data discovers that they exhibit characteristics of self-preservation and that they may be intelligent enough to be considered a life form. And Data acts in such a way as to protect them from being put in a harmful situation. 
and it puts the lives of a couple of officers, high-ranking officers on the ship at risk. So Picard and Geordie LaForge, the engineer, he subverts an order from Riker in order to do so. Are you familiar with this? I, I, I am, yes. I know exactly mm. what you're talking about. How would you view that that episode in terms of morality and what it shows us about data? Well, I think that's an interesting question because, you know, and it's been a while since I've seen it. So if I if I say something that's incorrect, then, uh, you know, someone can berate me for it. Um, a better Trekkie than me. But data, it's it's interesting because we just watched um, the, the Redemption two-parter uh, where data takes command of a starship for the first time. And... One of the things that he's criticized for in that episode by his first officer is not caring about the lives of the people under his command. And, of course, that's not true. He's acting as a captain, and he's putting the safety and the importance of the mission before the lives of any of his crew. And I think the episode that you're talking about kind of puts another shade on that, where instead of trying to protect a mission at the expense of of sentient life, he is putting the lives of essentially his his friends. You know, Jordy is a friend of Data's at risk to protect what I think Data considers to be, you know, unique and profoundly important life. Well, here's the other thing. I mean, people on the Enterprise go through risky missions all the time because they think that the mission or who they're protecting is more important. In a way... I don't want to say that the members of the Enterprise are expendable, but they... Well, unless they wear a red shirt, of course. Yeah. There is a degree to which any crew member is prepared to sacrifice his or her life in order to do something greater than themselves. Um, we This is a theme that the series returns to over and over again. When the franchise returns to over again, I would say. And... I mean, it's set, we've seen several, there are several episodes where they find a different type of life form and they do what they can to protect it. I mean, the Horda episode from the original series is kind of the prototypical example of that, where we have a creature that is attacking, uh, people on a mining colony and they end up finding that it is a sentient being, that it, I almost wonder if by risking the lives of Federation officers, that is, I mean, the mission of the Federation is to seek out understand and protect other life forms. I mean, that's the line of duty in a way. Yeah, I, I that's exactly where I was going with that, and I'm, I'm glad Richard picked up on that. Yes! And, and that's that's exactly what I would say, is that Data is putting his own Starfleet training and the morality that has been inculcated in him as a, as a Federation citizen and as, as a Starfleet officer uh, to protect unique life forms. And, you know, unfortunately, if a couple of crew members die, well, that's what they signed up for. And yeah. so I think it, 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 it really makes data kind of the typical, not the atypical moral being they, in the show. The, the, the thing I like about the Star Trek, again, the franchise, they make it very clear that morality is a difficult, tangled thing. There are a lot of times where there is no real right answer, and we've got to go for the best answer here. You know, there, there's thorny problem after thorny problem, and situation after situation, and it's never going to be easy. No one's ever said that, you know, being on the flagship of a an organization is going to, you know, being at the front of everything is going to be an easy thing. You're going to have to make these hard decisions that may or may not be right. You may make the wrong decision. Having seen so much Star Trek, what's what's a major point that you've learned or benefited from? You know, Star Trek is one of those things that I think is really difficult to understand unless you watch a lot of it, because it can seem very goofy and it can seem very silly a lot of times. It's certainly sexist at points. 
It's certainly um, homophobic and transphobic at points and all of these things. But it's very much a product of its time, and I think we have to remember that. But I also think the thing that I take away from Star Trek is that as long, and, and, and going all the way back to the original series, which was was trying to be less sexist than, than, than America in the 60s, which, you know, was, was not that hard to do, frankly, <laughs> that good intentions are not enough, and you really have to put into practice what you preach. The perfect is the enemy of the good. And so... Star Trek has really taught me that it's enough to try to be a good person, to try to be cognizant of how your actions affect others, and to really just try to be a better person in general and 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 try to love everybody. That's a pretty reasonable prime directive. Yeah. <laughs> Richard? I don't know. I mean, it, 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 there is a lot of that. I, I'm just thinking of this now. You say, you know, well, it was of its time in a lot of ways, but... You did also say earlier, you know, well, it was all that 90s, you know, multiculturalism and political, you know, and all those. Those aren't bad things. There are, you know, just as it's of its time of the problematic bits, it's of its time of certain values that I don't think we ought to forget. I mean, as goofy and campy and sexist as the original series can be, and it is at a lot of points. And racist, too. Yeah. But then again, you cannot, can't also forget the fact that it was making a bold statement by putting her on the bridge, you know? I mean, and that's, in a way, you know, you hear about the behind-the-scenes stuff where the production staff was very adamant about, you know, doing things like that, even in the face of, you know, certain networks in certain areas, you know, getting very upset about that. Well, no, this is more important than that. It is, and it actually inspired Whoopi Goldberg yeah, yeah. to get into acting. I mean, you hear about the story about how uh, Nichelle Nichols met, you know, Martin Luther King, and he said, no, you need to be doing this, you know, like, stuff like that. I mean, that, I guess, is important. The thing I always like about Star Trek is how it is a team of individuals in all of the cases, much more so in Next Generation, but you see a bunch of people working towards a greater ideal, something greater than themselves, but not losing themselves. One final question that's just occurred to me. How would Star Trek be different today? Oh, it would be much more episodic. I mean, it'd be much more arc-based, much more, you know, serialized. We were, you know, we were talking about how in the... <laughs> I, I don't know, it's funny. I think we kind of think that a Star Trek series, if it were made today, wouldn't be very good. I think that's been something that we've never really admitted to, but if you look at what we've been saying, I mean, th this this two-part redemption arc that we mentioned... Um, it talks about a Klingon civil war and, you know, things like that. We were saying, if they made the series today, that would be an entire season when this is wrapped up in two episodes. And there is an economy of storytelling that I like. There is, I don't know, it's making me appreciate older forms of television storytelling in a way. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also think, you know, the other big thing about that is, is you know, Star Trek, the original series, was, was very much a product of the 60s and very much a product of that 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 moment in American and world culture, frankly, Western culture that you know really was as optimistic as possibly things have gotten in you know 200 years. And I think if if Star Trek had been made today, I frankly don't know if it would be like that. I mean, the Federation is America, and in the 60s, America is doing fine. You know, there's those pesky Russians, but we're doing fine. You know. In the 90s, you know, there is a difference, but there is still a, you know, multiculturalism and, you know, political, was what a lot of what America was saying about itself, you know, melting pots, whatever. Well, it's really, it's really making me realize that, that, you know, and, and this is probably a controversial statement, maybe not, but, you know, I think in a lot of ways, I would say that Star Trek is, is perhaps 
the most important cultural creation to come out of the 1960s. And certainly in it terms inspired, of television. It inspired a generation of people to, to be astronauts, to be scientists. Mm. You know, it inspired a generation of people to, you know, believe that they could be people as well, you know, um, in terms of racial equality and, and, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting a little choked up just thinking about it because I, I really do believe that. I would love to see a new series commissioned that perhaps takes place after The Next Generation, which draws a lot of parallels with, say, the Iraq War, in which case it's a very long, drawn-out, bloody war. Yes, it could take place over an entire season, and the Federation isn't doing so well. Yeah, that's the thing. It seems almost anachronistic to have a Federation that's doing as well as the Federation does in original series or Next Generation. Maybe it would be interesting to see a series that's the Federation kind of in decline. Mm. Star Star Trek is... I, I would not like to see that, and I think the reason why is that Star Trek for me is... And I always say it's very earnestly dorky, and it's the kind of show that people that did model United Nations in high school really like. I would not like to see that go away. I think that's important to have in the world. I think it's, you know, if you go to a Star Trek convention, I love going to Star Trek conventions because you will be surrounded by the nicest people on the planet. And and no one will ever convince me of that, that that's not true. That everyone is just so nice. Everyone is having a fantastic time. I've never seen a fight break out of a Star Trek convention. I've never... <laughs> There's, there's this line in The Simpsons that springs to mind where there's a Star Trek convention. So it cuts to this hall and there's a sign out the front that says Star Trek convention. Just underneath it says set phases to fun. Yeah. <laughs> and that's right. That's right. We'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I love talking about Star Trek. I think three of my listeners might also be on board with that. We love all three of you. And that one over in the back, we know you're thinking about, you know, hey, maybe I should watch that show again. Well, you should. You should. So head to Trek About on iTunes or Stitcher or your podcatcher of choice and take a listen to Richard and Eric talk nonsense for hours on end. It's wonderful. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. It was great. Thank you. Raygate, the adventures of Ray and Rayleigh. Ray, I'm really worried about you. Why? (laughs) Well, you just don't seem yourself, you know. I haven't seen you pray in a couple of days. You're you're not as devoted to living waters as you used to be. You're distracted. I I feel... I'm just somewhat mentally exhausted. I've been devoting all of my time into all this prayer. I don't feel like I'm being rewarded. Well, Ray, I'm... What's going on? I'm worried. I've I've spent the last week praying for you oh, right, all the yes. time. You know, I I've been down on my knees for you. <laughs> well, for other reasons, but usually for prayer. Right. You know, I'm a bit worried because not even the Lord is listening. No, it feels like I've I've been hung out to dry. I, I think you should talk to someone about it. Oh. Um, do we believe in psychiatry, or, or is that the Scientologists that don't? I keep forgetting. No, I. Th- think it's connected to chiropractomy. Isn't that the one where right. they, they fix your bones? They're the ones that don't like vaccines, ah, you know, yes. stupid cunts. <laughs> but I'm going to make some calls, Ray. Is that all right? Right. Uh, do it. I'll, I'll, I'll be here rocking back and forth and listening to the voices in my head. Hello? Hello? speaking to? 
Richard? This is Dr. Headley Shrink. Hi, Dr. Headley Shrink. This is Raylene, uh, Ray Comfort's assistant. I wonder if I can make an appointment for you to see him. I'm really worried about him. Yes, what time would you like? Uh, three o'clock this afternoon. Yes, I think I have an opening just then. Good, we'll see you then. Um, just so you know, I think he's got a bit of anal fixation. <laughs> Um, well, he's obsessed with he's obsessed with a butt plug, and um, he's really not focusing on much else. That's that's truly a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we better get him to you ASAP. I'll see you this afternoon. Alrighty. Okay. God bless. Thank you. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, hello. Oh, hello, Dr. Shrink. Uh, my name's Ray Comfort, and I, I've i I've got... I, I'm not sure. It might be daddy issues. That's always a possibility. Well, no, the Heavenly Father up above, he seems to have rejected me. What makes you think that? Well, he hasn't spoken to me in... Well, ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're talking to him, and he doesn't answer you. All the time. It's non-stop. It's a, it's a, it's a full-time job. And I keep talking to him and then my inner monologue responds. I feel sort of disillusioned because I'm not sure if it's God speaking to me or if it's me speaking to me. It, it, <laughs> what makes you think that your father doesn't like you? Oh, I've been told he's always up above and he's either up above or there, there was a book written about him when he came down. Uh, I've got a book here about it. It's a wonderful book. You should read it. And then there's a Holy Spirit, which is in me. And I keep being told this and I keep telling people it's like this positive reinforcement thing that I, I project onto myself and others it, it's all very confusing I, I think I might be starting to process this in the wrong way in what way is that uh and that it's making sense to me oh it's actually making sense to you <laughs> well, now that is of concern oh yeah, well yeah, yes it, it's almost like some sort of elaborate plan the thing that I would like to know you're from living waters right loving waters yes yeah, yeah, that's correct oh it's loving not living no Excellent no news. it's not loving i've tried it really isn't <laughs> loving there's no loving now it depends how you you pronounce it, it well i was wondering what was living in there <laughs> well, well really just me and on occasion raylene well no mermaids or anything <laughs> <laughs> that might be the topic of a future episode we don't know <laughs> okay well let me first of all say if the waters are living something must be living in them right like botulism or like yeah. Ebola. So how do I correct my belief system? First find out. God, I can't say any of this with a straight face. <laughs> first find out. You must first find out what is living in the waters. Well, thank you, Yoda. <laughs> my pleasure. But what you've been living with the waters for a long time, what's living in there? Oh, look, you must a, know. It, it's an analogy. It's, it's like the Bible. It, it, it says living waters, but there's actually no water there, and, and there's nothing living in it, even if there was water there. Look, you've been very unproductive. And really, really stupid. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yes, and you've cost us a lot of money. I think you're being counterproductive. Oh, well, I think you need to read more Freud. Uh, that might be so, but how much have you read exactly? Uh, have I mentioned I've got this book? It doesn't mention Freud in it because that would be, you know, useful. An anachronism, probably. <laughs> you plug your butt. Something is living in there, too. 
<laughs> Almost certainly. I don't know what you don't understand about this. There's God up above, then there was Jesus down below, and then there's a the Holy Spirit everywhere. I can't reconcile it. What makes it impossible for you to reconcile? It's a cast of characters on a stage. Oh, this is useful. Talk me through it. Well, you have three characters, and they never get to interact because they're so far apart. But they're all the same character. <laughs> that I don't understand. How can the three characters be the same character? Well, haven't you read the Bible? They're the same character. Well, if it's only one character, then all you get is a monologue, of course. Right. Now, if, <laughs> if you're talking about the ego, the superego, and the id, that I would be able to help you with. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds equally nonsensical. Talk me through that. Superego, I would think, is referring to God. No. Of course, yes. Ego is probably referring to Jesus down on earth ah yeah well yes yes that's factual yes go on and the id well that would refer to the holy spirit right raylene it's so crystal clear now what no i wasn't paying attention (laughs) (laughs) it it doesn't matter i feel feel super ego is god ego is jesus it is holy spirit it's simple raylene yeah it's all boring anyway i only believe the bible I don't know what it's you're talking about. Boring. It was, it's only boring it a, for you because you don't see it in action. It's a terrible idea to come and see you. It doesn't sound like you believe in God, and I can't be associating with someone who doesn't believe in God. I didn't say I didn't believe in God. I just renamed the characters. You're, so if you want to get in touch with your with your Holy Spirit, you look below. <laughs> It sounds like you're cherry-picking the Freud Bible. I'm trying to represent your belief system in a way that I can understand it so we can have dialogue. She keeps trying to give me id. (laughs) Yes, this is what I'm trying to say. So This is exactly what I'm trying to say. She's trying to give you id. Right, okay. Which is really the Holy Spirit, because that's what arouses you. It's what gives you the vitality of life. Right, okay, well... Thank you very much, uh, Doctor. I, th- I think I've made sense of all of that. Let's go back to Living Waters and give each other id jobs. <laughs> I think it was like a dream come true. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> I'm glad I could fix everything so easily. We'll be sending you our bill. <laughs> <laughs> You haven't told him about my compulsive masturbation, have you? Uh, It was the first thing that came up. (laughs) God damn it. So don't scare him off this early on. (laughs) (laughs) What's Freud going to say about this one? (laughs) Freud uh, Freud had to take out his own butt butt to work. (laughs) Dr. Headley shrink, of course. Headly shrinked. There we go. That you've uh, got an Oedipus complex. You're a mummy fucker. <laughs> oh, we haven't even covered the topic of mum. Um, I'm Raylene. I have a vagina. <laughs> of course you do. Oh, oh, so you don't have a penis. So there's nothing for you to envy. Oh, you you can envy. But there, there's nothing for Ray to envy. So I've got an Electra complex. I guess so. I'm just dropping there my knowledge of psychology that I did about one class. (laughs) 
well, just, yes. just trying to impress you, Doc. <laughs> I, I'm terribly impressed. What would impress me more is if you helped Ray with his id, which is just a quiver. <laughs> so, you're, well, you're... I have tried to help him with his id, but he keeps knocking me back. Oh. Excellent. What? Okay. Are you saying that Ray masturbates to Jesus? <laughs> What are you going to be billing me for? <laughs> oh, my time, obviously. <laughs> Actually, I would think it'd be very fair if the two of you got together around the id, had your activities, and sent me a video of that. Then I would really owe you something. <laughs> There's always something to learn from a psychologist. <laughs> the id, eh? The id. I think Ra, Ra has figured it out. I'm totally useless. <laughs> 